Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to be in the Lord's house today? I am so excited to see where God is going to take National Heights Baptist Church and how he is going to use us in that work. We're without a pastor today, but we're not without a shepherd. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. And I'm thankful that we have Brian and Joshua as ministers in our church to lead our worship service today and the praise team to lead the singing and praises to God. A few things that uh, I want to express that we need to be in prayer about. And this is a time this service today is about being prayerful for the transition days ahead. And so there's a few things that I just wanted to inform you of to be in prayer about because they're um, steps forward that are important steps uh, that we need to be prayerful about, patient about. And uh, starts with uh, the 430 deacons meeting service this evening. Uh, the deacons will be deciding and voting on new officers for the coming church year beginning October 1st. And uh, this is always important, but it's especially important this year because two of those officers, the chairman and vice chairman of deacons um, that will be elected, will serve on the pastor search committee. And you've probably read in the vision or heard a lot about this pastor search committee. There are seven members on that committee. Two will be the chair and vice chair deacons. Three, as Brian mentioned, will be nominated for uh, there will be nominations for three at large positions from our church membership on Wednesday. Uh, We'll hold that service here. Voting for those final three at large members will be at the September business meeting also in here. And uh, then the other two will be decided uh, as nominees for from the uh, nominating committee for the chairman and vice chair of the stewardship and personnel committees. So that will round out the seven member pastor selection team who will uh, decide on our next interim pastor and then be looking at candidates for the permanent pastor. So very important in the stages that going forward that um, once we get this committee established, um, we need to keep them in our prayers, uh, keep our church in our prayers. And as we move forward, always put God first. So next Sunday, we have we have the service plan for today and Brian uh, will be speaking again and Joshua Again, Um, but next Sunday we will have or we have the honor of having uh, Dr. Michael Haynes, director of our Green County Baptist Association, speaking. He'll actually be speaking for the next two Sundays. He has been helping us and will speak to the congregation regarding the transition of a church through a time of being without a pastor and finding a new pastor. And he's been invaluable already in his guidance to us. And uh, we look forward to him speaking to the congregation the next two Sundays. We need to keep all these things in our prayers. Um, 
beyond in the next two Sundays, uh, we have received uh, interim pastor candidates from the Greene County Baptist Association a list of available pastors. Most are retired pastors, but are active in uh, preaching in the community area. And some are trained in transitional interim pastor functions. And so we have uh, considered some of those, contacted them, and we're lining them up for the subsequent Sundays uh, in the future weeks until we can actually arrive at a, an interim pastor. So these are the things that um, they're kind of functional things we need to go through, but very important things. But in all things, we need to keep uh, God in the process and keep him in and continue to pray for him about who he will lead to be uh, in the pulpit with the sermons and, and how God's word can be uh, shared with us during this vital time. May the Lord guide National Heights Baptist Church forward as we seek his will. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for just being here today. We just give you the honor, the glory, and the praise because you know the pathway forward for National Heights. You know, Lord, how we can be effective in this community at reaching the lost. We're so thankful that the youth team headed by Brian and Diane uh, were able to go tell it on the mountain in the mountains of Sedona and reach the children uh, through VBS there. Uh, children that needed to hear the gospel. Father, thank you for this church who was able to provide the means for them to do that. We just thank you for Joshua and the, the praise team. We thank you for the days ahead. We just look for your leadership. We give you all the praise. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might be sitting out there going, well, why can't we just make a decision now and bring a pastor on? And so much like we like to do a lot of times because we like control and to, to not have to live in the unknown, to be what's comfortable. We like that, right? But it's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire, but it's about what God wants and desires for our church. And so as Josh asked me to share about things I feel like our church should be praying for, it was pretty easy because over the past so many months through conversations I've had, God's just really been laying on my heart uh, these couple of things um, for us to be praying about. And let me share a couple of scriptures and I'll share what things that we need to be praying about. Uh, Jeremiah chapter, I may have lost my place. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then Psalms chapter 51, verse 10, it says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
renew a right spirit within me. So as I think about what we should be praying for, my prayer is that we be praying for that we would seek God and not just seek God, because, again, in order to know what God wants us to do, what God's desires are, we need to seek him. But not just seek him, but seek him with a pure heart and a humble heart. Because as you, if you think about it, if we seek him with an impure heart, we're not going to seek him with a right heart or a humble heart. It's hard to be humble when our hearts are not in the right place, when they're contaminated or filled with, with not, good, not good things. And so as I thought about this idea of praying with or seeking God with a humble, pure heart, um, I thought, begin to think, well, why don't we do that? And there's a little thing called sin. And that sin has taken and distorted and twisted everything that God created and turned it opposite, right? Instead of desiring what God wants us to desire, we desire things that we desire, sinful things, right? Um, and so we, we, we don't have a humble and pure heart because our hearts are distorted because of sin, and if they're distorted, then they turn us not towards God, God, but away from God, right? And I think one of the reasons that that we struggle with this because or due to sin, but also because we have an improper view of ourselves and of God, right? If we have a proper view of God and a proper view of ourselves, then we realize, hey, we're not in control. God's in control. But we, like I said, we love that control because we don't like, we don't like to live in the unknown. We don't like uh, to feel uncomfortable. We don't like to be scared, right? We want, we want to know everything. We want to know what's going to happen after uh, church. We like to know what's going to happen next in our jobs, right? We don't like to live in the unknown. But as we seek God, as we are praying, no, it's okay to live in the unknown because, again, we're not in control. God is, right? He's a very sovereign creator. The other thing that I was thinking about is the fact that uh, when we have a correct view of God and ourselves, that we then realize, hey, we're really not that important. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Like, why would you say that, Brian? And yes, we are important in the fact that God loved us Enough to die, to send his son to die on the cross for our sins, right? Do something that we couldn't do ourselves, right? So we are important in that sense, but what I'm talking about is the fact that we're not all that in a bag of potato chips like we like to think about, right? Sometimes we get to this place in our lives where we think that we're, we're bigger than we are, right? We, we get, we turn ourselves into our own gods. Anyways, anything that we elevate above God, we then turn into God. Sometimes we think of ourselves so much that we turn ourselves into our own God. And we worship ourselves or other people start worshiping us. If you talk to any coach on a sports team, they'll say one of the worst things that can happen is for people on the team to think that they have a higher place on the team. To think that they're better than other people, right? We're not. We're not that important. When I go to a Mexican jail, when we've gone to Guadalajara before and stood there in front of the prisoners and, and preached, one of the things that God's taught me is, you know what? You're up here, but you're not any more important than they are. Right? Because here's the thing. 
I'm no different than those prisoners in, other than the fact that, I, hey, guess what? I'm walking out of that jail at the end of the day. But if we really think about it, we're all on the same level because we're all sinners that are in need of God's grace. Right? I'm no different than a homeless person on the street because we both need Christ. Right? We have to realize that we're not that important. Right? Sometimes we get this mentality that, man, I'm really important. And if they don't like what I have to say and, and they, don't, they don't accept my decision or what I have to say, I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm going to be like that child that just picks his toys up and says, I'm not sharing. I'm going home. Or we do where if it's not done my way, then I'm going to do everything I can to try to get to be done my way. And we end up bullying people into getting our way done. Right? Again, just sin distorts our heart, turning our hearts away from God. So, most, if not all of us, need changed hearts. Right? Most of us need to undergo heart surgery. Right? I'm not going to pull out a knife and start doing heart surgery because I don't know what I'm doing. Right? But I know who does. That's Christ. Right? Only Christ can change our hearts. So think about these are these are things that we can that might signify that we have a heart issue that we need to change hearts. First thing is this: when we make things all about us, all about our wants, all about our desires, all about our preferences, instead of what God wants, what God desires. Right. Second thing is this: is we fix our eyes on the wrong things. Right. We get so tied up in the color of the carpet, style of the worship. How someone looks, you know, if I wore shorts and a T-shirt up here and spoke God's word, there's probably someone that would say something about that, right? We get tied up in, in the things that happen inside the church, like Bible study, and all those are, that, that's important. Like, don't hear me wrong, that, that's important. So much, we get so much of the time tied up in those things, we forget that if we walked across the street, we'd probably, we'd probably find a lot lost person, right? First of all, Christ didn't call us to stay inside the walls of our church. Like, Christ didn't just sit there in the synagogue waiting for sinners to show up. Like, he went outside the walls of the synagogue. He went outside the walls of the building to go serve others so that they can know him, right? The third thing is, sometimes when we have an issue with someone, instead of going to address it with them, to talk to them about it, we go and talk to other people. Right? We're, we're guilty of that. By the way, in Matthew chapter 18, it gives us the prescription of what we should do if we have an issue with someone. We should go talk to them. Right? But so many times we have an issue, we're like, oh, I'm going to go talk to someone else. Maybe they can go talk to that person for me. No, we have to do it ourselves. And here's the fourth thing. I mean, I could list a whole bunch of things. But the fourth thing is this. It's we have a heart issue when we have an apathetic attitude. We get in a place where we just don't really care. Like, I can care less who our next pastor is. I can care less if our church grows or if we're reaching the community or if, if we're getting outside our comfort zone or what's convenient for us, right? We may, again, it goes back to where we make it all about us. So how do we change this? How do we correct this heart issue? Well, prayer is the first thing we should do because the last thing that I, that I, the last time I looked, prayer takes the focus off ourselves and puts it on God and others, right? If you've 
think about it, it's hard to be mad at someone that you're praying for. If you're really authentically praying for that person with the right heart, you're not going to be mad for that, about, at that person. Right? We have to be praying that God would give us a right heart, that he would give us a changed heart so that we can seek him with a humble and pure heart. The next thing that we need to do is we need to delight in the Lord. In Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, it says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Brian, I thought you just said that it's not about us or our wants or our desires. But if you look at that verse, the first thing it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why will he give you the desires of your heart? Because if you're delighting in him, you're going to delight and the things that he delights in. You're going to have the same desires that he has. So we must delight in the Lord. The third thing is we need to fix our eyes on him. Right? We go where we're looking. Like if you just want to do some fun thing, like try looking off to the side and walking. You're going to veer off to the side that you're, you're looking at. Right? And Luke, at the end of Luke chapter 9, when Jesus is addressing the, the three people that come to him and go, Jesus, I'll follow you. What's he say to the last person? If you have your hand, this is paraphrasing, but if you have your hand to the plow, don't look back. Because you start going off track, right? So in order to seek Jesus, in order to follow him, our eyes must be fixed on him. And the last thing is that we need to submit to him. Submit means to give up something. And that something is our lives. Right? Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Take up your cross. Cross is an instrument of death. That means we put ourselves to death. That doesn't mean that we literally kill ourselves, but we get rid of our wants and our desires. Right? Because our wants and desires are sinful. We need to submit to God. So I encourage you and implore you as a church, as we spend this time in transitional period, to be praying that we would seek God as a church with both humble and pure hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time to share your word. And Lord, I know that sin does so many ugly things to us. But one of the things it does to us is it, it distorts our heart and turns our heart from you. And Lord, when our hearts turn from you, we can't, we can't even seek you, let alone seek you with a humble and pure heart. So, Lord, as we go through this process, just pray that we would humble ourselves, that we would truly seek you with a pure and humble heart. That wouldn't be about what we want, what we desire, but it would be all about you. It would be all about glorifying you. In your name we pray. Amen. With all the things that have been going on <clears throat> in our church, Vaughn's retirement, thinking about the future, um, we're obviously at a, at a crossroads, um, and I couldn't help but think about um, kind of looking back and, and seeing where we've come from. Um, sometimes it's good to look back when you're trying to also look forward. 
and seeing where you're going. Um, so one thing that I, I went and I kind of went through this book a little bit. This I don't know if y'all know this, but this is a, a book that was written on the centennial of our church's uh, ministry, 100 years of ministry. Um, it was written back in 1989. Um, and um, found it very interesting that the name of the book is On This Rock. How cool is that, right? On this rock. And all throughout the book, um, as the history was being told, the author strategically placed different scriptures that use the word rock. Let me show you something. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's right there next to the story and the picture of our, our first pastor, W.C. Armstrong. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. That's beside the very first building um, over on East Avenue. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Here, that passage is beside another pastor and his story. And then 2 Samuel twenty two forty seven: the Lord lives and blessed be the rock. And, the exalt, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. And that's right there beside the story of the fire that happened that messed up that first building. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And then this one. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to the wise man who built his house upon the rock. On this rock. How cool is it to know that through the, through the pages of our history, over and over again, these references to the rock. Because um, we're founded upon the rock, and that rock is Jesus. Now in 1991, our church built this educational complex, the, the um, North Building. And when the foundation had been laid for that new building, someone, I don't know who, it was just a few years after this book was written, so maybe there was a correlation there, but someone went and got a magic marker or a permanent marker or whatever, and they wrote on the foundation there, as you're walking into that um, educational complex, they wrote um, some words out of Matthew sixteen eighteen. It said, and on this rock, I will build my church. The full context of that scripture is where Christ asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, you did not come about this from flesh and bone. What you are claiming, what you are saying, the, the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And Peter, on this Truth on this rock, on this foundational truth that the certainty that Peter had that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to save his people on that truth, on that rock. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So somebody wrote that on the concrete down there and that inspired us 
when we uncovered that, when we were doing the, the renovations here just a few years ago, it inspired us, you know what, we should write some scriptures on the concrete. And it was such a great service, uh, reminding us that we are founded on the very word of God, on the very scriptures that Jesus spoke that, that we have here. And so we wrote those scriptures all throughout uh, that welcome center. And one day someone's going to uncover that floor because it'll... It'll go out of date, too, and we'll have to replace it, you know. Um, and somebody's going to uncover that floor, and they're going to see all these beautiful words, living words that are written upon the foundation of who we are as a church. I know it's just talking about the building, but there's a spiritual aspect to that, that we want to be founded on the word of God. So we did it. We added our own scriptures To that floor. And someone during that time went down the hallway to the little hallway, the door that goes into where the pastor's study is. Someone wrote these words on the floor there. Out of Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Again, claiming the scriptures, knowing that there is truth within these words, knowing that it's a rock that we can stand on. It's the very word of God. It is the incarnate word. It is Jesus Christ. And that rock will never be shaken. Right. Knowing that this is the truth. They wrote that there. Where every day as the pastor's going into his study, he would walk over This that says, I will give you a shepherd, shepherds, leaders after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So it got me thinking, Okay, um, well, what do we need to pray for as we look to the future of our church? When we think about where God is leading us, will we continue to be a church that is founded on the rock? Or will we make other things our rocks? The things that we think are important. Will we continue to be a church that believes in the word of God as a foundation upon which we stand? Will we continue to see shepherds after God's heart who will feed us with knowledge and understanding? That's my prayer. That is my prayer that we would, as we go through this process, that we would find shepherds Not just the next pastor, but the next one after that and the next one after that. That just like we see throughout history, standing on the rock that will continue that legacy into the future. Finding shepherds who have the heart of God and will lead us in knowledge and understanding. That's my prayer. Who knows how long it will take. Could be a few months. We all need to be praying this prayer over the next few months, over the next few I don't know, years. I don't really care how long it takes. I just want us to find a man that is after God's heart. That's the important thing. That shepherds us with knowledge and understanding. I hope you'll join me in praying that prayer. There's another passage in Jeremiah that we've been reminding ourselves of um, each Sunday. We started this, um, well, months ago when we were uncertain about how to open things back up, how to to start again after this whole 
uh, pandemic that we went through. And we started reminding ourselves that God has a future. He has a plan. And we read that passage out of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And we've done it faithfully. And it's so important even now as we continue to remind ourselves, to remind each other that God has a plan. And it's not to harm us, but it's to give us a hope and a future. So we have that promise that we've been reading out of Jeremiah to each other. Brian reminded us of it again um, this morning um, with the verse 13. The promise that God has plans, that he offers us a hope and a future. He has everything laid out for us. All we have to do is seek and find, and he will fulfill that promise if, if. That passage says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It says in there, then you will call upon me and come and pray, and I will hear you. See that promise of the plans and the hope that we have? That we read each day, we worship out of Jeremiah 29. It's a conditional promise. It's being said to the people of God while they are in exile. While they're in Babylon, they've been carried away. They're not at home. In fact, home has been destroyed. And he says, God says to him, I know that you're in exile, but I have plans for you. In fact, you read in Jeremiah and it shows that God planned to take them into exile. He says, I took you through that refinement because of my plans and my plans are good and they are hopeful and there is a future to prosper. He talks about it through the prophet Jeremiah and what he's going to do. He's going to bring them back. And when he brings them back, then you will call on me and come pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You see, the condition on that promise is that the prospering and hope in the future, it's all about him and what he is trying to accomplish in and through his people. It's not about them. They're in exile. Life isn't good for them. It's tough. But God has plans, hope, future. I think we understand the concept in in Jeremiah 29. I think we understand what. That is trying to say. But I want you to understand that also the same concept is there in Jeremiah 3. And I will give you shepherds. In fact, the word that's at the beginning of Jeremiah 29, 12, then. It's the same word that starts the passage here in Jeremiah 3, 15. Then. Some translations show that word as and. Some show it as the word then. Some leave it out altogether. It's not there. It just says, I will give you. So I, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, well, why is that so? Let's find out if that word should be there. So I go back and I look and I'm looking through um, the, the Septuagint, the, the old Greek translation of the Old Testament. And I'm seeing, okay, that word is there. It's, it, it, it's one that... Is sometimes translated and, sometimes it's translated then, sometimes it's even translated if. Um, and then I, I look, okay, and this was a little bit above my head, hadn't taken that course yet, but um, I went and looked through the Hebrew and the, the original Masoretic texts and stuff and said, okay, what does it say there? Is that word there? Is that 
word then and why is it sometimes and and why is it sometimes not there? Um, I found that the exact same word is used in both of these passages. So it makes me wonder if there is a conditional thing upon Jeremiah 3.15 in the same way that there is upon Jeremiah 29.11-13. The important thing that I think we need to understand is regardless of how that word is translated in these different English translations, the important thing is that it's a conjunction. It's a word that joins together two phrases, two truths, two things that cannot exist without the other. So why am I making such a big deal out about this one little bitty word? Well, if we want to understand this truth, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. If we want to understand this concept, we have to recognize that it's linked with another truth. So let me give you a little bit of background here. Jeremiah is writing to uh, writing this passage to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom here in chapter three. They've just watched what Jeremiah refers to as his as their sister, the northern kingdom. They've just watched her being carried off into captivity. See, they had this great leader. This leader was was named Josiah and he was he was not always going to be king of the southern kingdom. And Jeremiah is writing this as a warning to them. And then when King Josiah died, guess what happened? The kingdom sought her own gain, her own agenda, her own wants and desires. When they no longer had that leader. And right here before this beautiful passage that says, I will give you shepherds. I will give you leaders after my own heart. Right before this passage, God is calling the nation of Judah to return to him, to repent, to acknowledge that they have sought their own ways. And if they do that, that all important word, if they decide that they will repent, that they will acknowledge and that they will turn back that all important word, then. What does the word repent mean? Plain and simply, it means to turn. What does it not mean? It doesn't mean I'll try harder. I was almost there, but I just need to try a little bit harder because I was practically there. I just fell a little bit short. You see, it doesn't mean that I'll try harder. Because all have sinned and fallen short. No, repent means to be Observant and acutely aware of our own insufficiency apart from Christ. This level of awareness changes our speech. It changes our emotions. It changes our intentions. It changes the very lives that we live when we've truly gone through this idea of I will fall short. It means that we accept a new level of responsibility for our insufficiency. We say To God, I'm going to mess up. I acknowledge my guilt. I acknowledge my attempts at self-sufficiency. I acknowledge that I I thought I just had to try a little bit harder. So the message of Jeremiah 3.15 is, Return to me. Acknowledge that you need me. And when you 
do. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. When I started looking at that passage, I knew, you know, when when I was thinking about this service, I, I knew, okay, well, we need to talk about that passage. How cool is all this history and, and everything? And I, I was like, God, I am not going to get up there and tell the church that they need to repent. I'm not going to do it. Find somebody else. I'll find a. There's got to be another passage in here. That's not what I'm trying to share. I want you to know something about Christ, about his heart. See, in Romans 2 4, it tells us that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I want you to know that God is looking at our church. With such compassion and a heart for us. How do I know that? Yes, we are not truly without a shepherd because Jesus Christ is our shepherd. But we still look to our pastor as a shepherd, as a shepherd of this flock. And here in Mark six thirty four, it says of Jesus, he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them. And then in Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, when we look up at our Savior and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, our church needs you. If you leave us to ourselves, we're not going to make it. We're going to mess things up. In fact, we've messed some things up in the past. And, and we, we don't want to do that again. We need to come to Him. And when we do, we say we're going to fall short. Jesus doesn't say, well, that's right. You should be ashamed of yourself. Never. Never does our Savior say that. What He says That's what he said there in Mark. Let me teach you. He says what he said there in Matthew 9. Let me have compassion on you. And he says what he says there in Jeremiah 3.15. Because I want to give you a shepherd after my own heart. Who will lead you in wisdom and understanding. I think... If I can be so bold, that part of the things that we need to be praying for as we prepare ourselves for the future is we need to pray prayers of repentance. We need to pray prayers of, I didn't measure up. We need to pray prayers of, I've fallen short. I don't know what it is. That each of us need to repent of. Because it's an individual thing. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I'm just telling you that if we want shepherds after God's own heart, all of our hearts have to say, Lord, I need you. And on this rock, He will build His church and the gates of hell will not 
prevail against it. Let's pray.